The technology likely to have the greatest impact on the next few decades has arrived. You can start building completely new concepts for payments that we've never thought of. Move the need for a financial intermediary to transact value. Bitcoin and the blockchain have an amazing future. This is going to transform society. Hello guys and welcome to another episode of the Crypto Authority Podcast. My name is Thomas and I'll be your host for today. With us today we have Douglas from Shift Crypto Security, the company that creates the Bitbox hardware wallet. Hello Douglas. Hello Thomas. Welcome to the show. We're really happy to have you here with us today. Yeah, thank you. Can you tell me a bit about yourself, how you got into crypto, when you first stumbled across crypto? So I got into the crypto space in 2013. I was actually in Japan at that time. And interestingly enough, Bitcoin was on the front page of one of the major Japanese newspapers. And um, I thought that was quite strange. Uh, I hadn't heard about it before and I was read the, the subtitle uh, with the help of my, my family. And I was thinking, okay, why is this this monopoly money uh, on the front page of a Japanese newspaper. And so I started researching, uh, researching some more and started digging in. And I come from an academic background, so I was quite uh, surprised or quite, uh, quite impressed by the, uh, the academic nature of, of the, the Bitcoin protocol, in particular solving the uh, Byzantine generals problem. And I thought, okay, this actually kind of makes sense. And so I, I researched some more and researched some more. Yeah, basically from that moment, I got hooked. Everyone has his own little way of stumbling across Bitcoin. It's really interesting. You have um, academic background. What did you study and how did this help you in the crypto space? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been in academia my whole life. I actually have a PhD in neuroengineering. Uh, and that's what brought me to Switzerland originally. Our company's uh, founded in operating out of Switzerland. And yeah, before that I had, uh, yeah, a lot of people say, wow, that's quite, quite strange to go from neuroscience into uh, starting a company. But before that I had a lot of uh, also education and degrees in mechanical engineering and robotics and some coding and things like that. So I had a lot of the skills necessary uh, to create uh, hardware, uh, which is what I did in the end. Um, so how did you enter the space? Um, did, did, was it straight just into, okay, we're going to create the Bitbox? What was it? I'm, I'm originally from America. And what brought me to Switzerland was to be a group leader at the university here at ATH Zurich. Uh, it's one of, the, one of the best universities in, in Europe in terms of technology. So I was quite, quite uh, lucky to get that position. And our startup, uh, or our company is actually a spinoff of the university. And so then it's even more questions. How, how can you create a, a technological uh, Bitcoin cryptocurrency company from a neuroscience uh, program? And so that, I guess that's where the engineering comes in. We, we, the lab I was in, we created uh, a technology to uh, better do neuroscience. So creating uh, custom PCBs, custom ASIC devices, in order to study uh, electrical signals from neurons. And so kind of through that process, I began to learn how to create PCBs, uh, how to create firmware, 
and things like that. And so getting some of the, the technology that's needed to actually create hardware wallets. And as I mentioned, I got into the field back in 2013. Um, when I first started uh, buying Bitcoin, it took me about two weeks before I was actually comfortable holding cryptocurrencies, holding Bitcoin, um, until I felt comfortable security-wise. And yeah, I have, I have a technical background, so I was like, okay, this this is a this is a big problem. And at the time, hardware wallets weren't a new concept, but they weren't on the market yet. Uh, there was a lot of promises uh, that they would come. Uh, Ledger and Trezor were talking about it. Uh, but at the time, you also had a lot of the, the scams with the hardware mining companies uh, where um, there'd be a lot of promises. People would go and pre-order and buy products, but then their money would disappear. So I thought, okay, is anything going to happen or not? I don't know. So I just decided in my, my free time to build my own hardware wallet um, instead of waiting for the others. And that was quite a, quite a great learning experience. Um, getting really into the guts of uh, the cryptography behind it. And yeah, I started showing that around to some local meetups, some local Bitcoin meetups, and got really good feedback um, and got a lot of encouragement. I actually met my co-founder at a meetup, uh, Jonas, uh, who who's, uh, happens to be one of, the, one of the important people, I guess you could say, in uh, the Bitcoin open source the Bitcoin core community. And interestingly enough, we happened to live in the same city. So a bit of, a bit of fate uh, brought us together and then we decided to start the company. Um, at the time, I was heavily considering uh, whether or not to jump into the cryptocurrency field or not. In my position in, in neuroscience, the next step on the career path is uh, to become a professor. But I wasn't sure exactly if if that was uh, the right thing for me to do. Um, I've always been interested in, in doing things that I think can change the world. And so studying the brain is definitely one. And I think cryptocurrencies, uh, blockchain technology, Bitcoin is definitely another. And so if I didn't want to be a professor, how can I get into this other field? I figured the easiest way since uh, I really had no, no background in it was just to start a company and give myself a job. Wow, uh, that's a lot of information. I don't even know what to comment on first. Uh, <laughs> how the easiest way is to start your own company. How neuroscience, uh, I don't want to be a professor. How you met Jonas uh, out of the blue in a meetup. I'm like, well, information overload. Let's let's take a step back and analyze <laughs> it one bit by bit. So you met, you got into crypto. You were, you were, prof you were um, doing neuroscience at the University of Zurich. You decided to use that background and you created your own little hardware wallet because at the time it didn't exist. This was when when did you actually first create it? Your own DIY? What year was uh, it? When, uh probably early 2014. Early 2014. Okay. So at that stage there wasn't really many options in the space. As you said, Ledger and Trezor were making promises, but no one um there was no product for people to use. I, yeah. I'm surprised. Well, I'm, I'm surprised and also not surprised. Given your background, I'm not surprised that you instantly saw that there were some risks with Bitcoin and you didn't, you weren't feeling comfortable holding Bitcoin for those two first weeks. And as we saw over the last five years, uh, six years from 2013, 
there's been many hacks, uh, and there is that awareness now to a certain extent uh, for those that are in the crypto space that, hey, keeping your crypto on an exchange is not the right thing to do. Hence why we do our podcasts and product reviews. Um, so I, I admire the fact that you saw that instantly, uh, and then you tried to solve the problem, just like a scientist would do. <laughs> um, but why create one for everyone to use? I mean, at, right now, as we're speaking, there's quite a few in the market. There's many in China, there's many, there's Ledger, there's Trezor, there's BC Vault. What did you feel was missing in the space for you to say, okay, I need to create one because I'm not satisfied with X, Y, Z? I find it, of course, I think anyone would find it attractive to work on things that can change the world. And I think cryptocurrencies is, is and still is, was and still is such a new state that what you could contribute could be um, quite substantial. So you'd, you'd have a, an ability to you know, um, shape, shape the ecosystem and, and promote the ecosystem and help people get involved. And I thought, there's, of course, there's a lot of rough edges around it. And so if I could help that out, uh, that'd be really, really great to be a part of that, to be a part of this growing, uh, you know, really societal changing technology. Um, at the time, when I first started working on it, there, there were no hardware wallets on the market. Uh, by the time I was ready to, uh, comfortable enough to let other people use it, uh, Ledger and Trezor had come to market. Um, what made me continue was, uh, ma mainly, I think, um, uh, I think there's a need for diversity in the market. So it, it's, uh, I hope to have good relationships uh, and we, we do with Ledger and Trezor and try to support each other and try to bring diversity to the market. Cause I think it's important for security. Uh, so you can have less, uh, counterparty risk on one particular company, for example, and also, it keeps us all honest. Keeps us uh, trying to push the borders of uh, uh, improving security, improving usability, which is another crucial factor. Um, and so, I continued and kept on doing that. And after, yeah, af after we launched, then some others uh, did, of course, come onto the market. And we we keep trying to continue and uh, make new products to to try to stay at the edge. Absolutely. And uh, you guys force each other to innovate. So yeah, I exactly. do this, uh, you, I get to do something better to beat the competition. So there's always that push for improvement. There's no monopoly in the market. Um, so that's, that's good. You didn't, you mentioned that you, what, you're working in a space of innovation that can change the world. Um, What's what do you think is going to change the world? Is it Bitcoin? Is it cryptocurrencies? Is it the decentralized element um, of of money? Or what do you think is the world changing aspect to it? Is it blockchain technology? What is it for you? Yeah, um, I think there's a lot of different ways you could approach that question. Uh, come from different perspectives, which probably depends on on each individual's past history. Um, Mine being more more academic, I kind of uh, try to take a, a broader broader view of it in the sense that I think if you look at the history of, of mankind, anytime you have uh, some kind of technology that gives a bit of power to the individual, um, to, to the people, 
oftentimes you have huge shifts in uh, how, how society behaves. And there can be you know, good parts, bad parts that come with it, uh, specific to cryptocurrencies. Uh, you know, the bad parts are, are like the legal activities and things like that. But in general, with great power um, comes a, a lot of good also. Uh, and when you give power to the people, in this case, giving financial sovereignty to individuals, uh, a lot of change can happen and a lot of, uh, I guess, um, uh, good things, um, a bit more level playing field, uh, a lot of innovation can come out of it and so on and so on. And so it's hard, it's really hard to predict the future, like what, what exactly that will be in the end. But in, in general, this is the trend. And I, I think it's quite, quite, uh, you know, quite exciting and quite a privilege to be around during this stage. Yeah, I agree with you. And that, that's why we got into it as well. We, we love this innovation. And I love the decentralized aspect of it. And we are in a groundbreaking point uh, because we're, we're before that mass adoption. And um, the way I see it is we're, if we do manage to succeed and get mass adoption, companies like yourself will play a major role because at the moment, I cannot imagine, um, like I would be shocked beyond belief if I see my grandparents buying and selling crypto or buying their groceries with crypto at the moment. I don't think it's it's got to that point where it's feasible for them. They're in their 70s. It, it's just not going to happen. But I think with mass adoption in the future and companies like yourself trying to give that user experience aspect, that simplicity where, yeah, they're buying and selling with crypto, which is a very complex um, complex technology to use, but you've managed to simplify it for them to the point where, yeah, a grandma can use it. Uh, my 12-year-old sister can use it kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, from, from our perspective, of course, you have to build a solid foundation. And for us, that started out with uh, security. Uh, also, privacy is an important aspect. Um, but once you have this foundation, of course, the next step is usability and maybe the most important step to, to take the to, to make progress and, and have mass adoption. Um, like a, a good analogy, you can look at credit cards and uh, everyone knows how to use it. Uh, my parents, your grandparents. Um, no, no, my grandparents don't use it. They're credit still going cards. cash. They still go oh, cash. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. I would be okay. shocked beyond belief <laughs> if they were using crypto. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, well, with that exception, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you look at credit cards, there's a huge amount of technology under the hood. Uh, the the whole network for um, uh, payment transactions and uh, payment processing and so on and so on. Uh, but for the person who uses it, they just swipe it and it works, and you get a you get a bill in the mail and you, you pay it. Uh, but there's a huge amount of technology underneath it, and so I think it's it's the challenge for uh, cryptocurrency companies like ours uh, to try to make it as easy as possible for cryptocurrencies to be used. So uh, let's get a bit into the Bitbox. You guys had the Bitbox version one. You're now at the beta stage of the version two. Thank you for sending one over to us to test. You're welcome. Um, I'm going to send you all my uh, complaints later. <laughs> nah, it's, it's, it's a great data form waiting for you. <laughs> nah, nah it's, it's really good. I'm really enjoying it. Um, what are the upgrades to the beta version, uh, the 
version two Bitbox compared to the version one? What are the changes you guys decided to go for? Yeah. So yeah, the version one, uh, just a little bit of background that's been on the market uh, since 2016. So about three years. And that was our first original uh, Bitbox. And that, that's been going well. Uh, we have customers in about 100 countries around the world. Oh, wow. um, nice. And they've they've given us uh, a lot of great feedback along the way. Uh, a lot of them like it. A lot of them do ask for um, improvements uh, in, in their eyes. And so we've tried to take that feedback and redesign the BitBox uh, into a whole new whole new hardware wallet from the ground up, and also um, uh, try to achieve some feature parity with with the competitors. So in particular, that meant adding a screen. Um, we also switched to, um, which I think is quite unique, a uh, touch slider system. So on each of the sides of the device, there are touch sensors. So uh, capacitive touch sensors. You put your finger on the side and you can do um, some very interesting UI. So you can do slide, you can do tap, you can do hold in order to confirm transactions. And we think that there's a lot of room for uh, uh, fixing up this UI into something that's quite quite entertaining, quite fun, uh, while at the same time being um, u- unique and secure. Um, I we really, switch- uh, yeah, go ahead. Let, let me, just because yeah, I know you're going to be going through all the features, and I just want to comment on each one. <laughs> Please, yeah. So, uh, love the screen. Um, the other companies are using OLED, but I really uh, found that for some reason, yours, I, I don't know, maybe it was just, the lighting at the time, it seemed like I could read the um, characters really simply on there, which mm-hmm. for most devices, that's not the case, even though they are using OLED. Yep. Um, and the, your screen's not huge either. Uh, so I, I was really surprised by that. Um, yep. The capacitive touch. One of the things we do when we test devices is first, I test the device by trying to figure out how to use it without reading the manual. Mm-hmm. That for me tells me, is this an intuitive device to use or do I actually have to know how to use it? Mm-hmm. With the capacitive slight touch, I couldn't figure, I, I couldn't get the numbers to line up when I was trying to set up my password. I couldn't figure it out. I read the instructions, super easy to do, fair enough, but I wouldn't say it was intuitive in that respect. Um, but I re- did really enjoy playing around with the slidey thingy. The numbers kept going up and down. That was really cool. So I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. Good. Maybe I'll just uh, uh, follow up on some of those comments. So the yeah, the screen we're quite happy with it. It is an OLED screen also, um, but one difference is it is bigger than the others uh, and it has a bit larger pixels. So I think that probably contributes to the readability. Also, we sync it beneath the surface of the device, so it's a bit hidden when it when it's turned off and it uh, shines through tri- shines through the material. And that probably also improves uh, uh, the perception, I guess, a little bit, um, possibly. And the the touch sliders, yeah. Uh, so we are in in the beta stage right now. One of the the feedback has been um, to try to make it a bit more intuitive. Some people get it right away and they love it. Uh, a lot of other people um, say, yeah, it's not exactly intuitive. So. Tomorrow, actually, we're going to have a, a new beta firmware available with a whole new uh, password entry scheme. So it'd be good to get get your feedback again on that. Absolutely. You I'll the, reset the it difference. and redo it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. And yeah, so, so to continue, I think uh, another uh, noticeable difference between the devices is we switched from uh, USB-A to USB-C port. Thank you. I have um, a MacBook Pro and I don't have any USB-A ports. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the new computers are moving that direction. I believe there's actually a European law uh, about mobile devices uh, requesting them to use a single uh, USB-C connector in order to reduce okay, the cable waste. Yeah. Uh, nice. I, I believe that's true. Um, I'm not, not sure if that's been entered into force or not, but there's definitely discussions around that. Why so, buy a lightning cable by Apple? Uh, that's one of the issues. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, it, but in general, um, USB-C should allow, um, uh, portability of our device. So we can plug our device directly into mobile phones, at least Android phones. Um, and we kept, um, uh, I guess the, some things that people liked with our version one, which is the, the form factor, the small form factor, the portability factor. Uh, one of our most popular um, features in, in both devices was the uh, micro SD slot, the card reader. And we get a lot of feedback from uh, resellers and from new users in particular uh, that, that quite like that. And the, the counter to that, uh, uh, so the reason for this is uh, really to do vastly simplified and instant backups and also recovery. And a lot of the feedback we get from resellers and from uh, new users is that uh, with other devices, you have the, the mnemonic seed in order to um, create the wallet and do the backup. And the, the word they use is mnemonic anxiety. So people don't necessarily understand what it means uh, to write down a bunch of words onto a word list. Uh, they're quite nervous about it. They're scared at every letter they write. Uh, and it takes quite a long time. It can take 10, 20 minutes and longer for, for new users just to, just to set I, up a wallet. I know. I know. I've set up quite a few wallets and had to fill in quite a few different companies' recovery seeds. So, yeah. yes, it is. some can be very, very time-consuming. Yeah. And so with the micro SD slot, we avoid all that. So we instantly save the backup so the the whole setup process can be uh quite quick um some of the beta feedback we get are people are comfortable with the the mnemonic passphrase uh, especially people from who've used different hardware wallets and different software wallets and so we will offer that as an optional feature on our device since we have a screen um, and so there's two two mechanisms to do backup and recovery one through the SD card, which is on by default, and another optionally through through the screen, writing down the mnemonic onto paper. Okay, so you're you're essentially essentially going to offer SD card backups as well as recovery seat backups. Exactly. Yep. Right. Okay, that's cool. Um, I I can't decide which version I prefer. Having tested both in numerous devices, the SD card's the simple version, but then yeah. I have to find somewhere to store the SD card. Yeah. And I have a, quite a few SD cards, so I got to figure out where somewhere to put it securely. Remember what it is, because I don't want to write on top of it. Oh, it's the Bitbox version two, <laughs> because someone yeah. is going to see it's like, oh, I'll just slip it into one of these devices and I'll have access to his Bitbox because the SD card's not secured. On the other hand, it is yeah. smaller, so it's easier to put away compared to a recovery seed. Yeah. Then you have the problem of oh, well, the recovery seed's great because usually. 
you write it on a piece of paper, but then you transfer it to one of these recovery um, plates from companies like CryptoTie, CryptoSteel, Stilly, which is fireproof, yeah. waterproof, shockproof. So yeah. I don't know if my house burns down and I don't know, I hope it never happens to you, but one of my houses did burn down in the past. So I know I, I've... I've experienced that, and it is a genuine fear of mine at the moment. So I, I can't really decide. I, at the moment, they both have yeah. their ups and downs. I'd say. Yeah. So yeah. I, so I fully, have a supporting both is is a smart idea. Because will you allow users to use both at the same time? Yes, they can use both at the same time. Perfect. Yeah. Even better. Um, so yeah. So those are very valid points. I think in the uh, to, in the safest setup, um, having one of these um, uh, metal wallets makes a lot of sense for, for exactly the reasons you're saying. Um, and the mnemonic, of course, allows that. Um, I think uh, this is the recommendation we usually give to users is if, if they have a lot of coins, um, the best thing to do is to create multiple backups and uh, spread them into different physical locations. Um, the, the, the micro SD and the paper wallet, um, and I guess the metal wallet also have the same problem that you do have to uh, put them somewhere. Um, with respect to, like, how do you know if this micro SD card is the right one or not? Uh, yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, we have thought about that a little bit, and that we'll have stickers uh, that you can put onto the the SD card to identify them. Okay, Non-descriptive. Nice. So let, let's talk about the features of... Um the bitbox version two and bitbox version one you guys support bitcoin litecoin yes in various forms uh, legacy etc um and you also offer ethereum and erc20 tokens however to use those i have to have um my ether wallet open is that correct uh yeah at the moment yes so um in our own so we, of course, supply our own native desktop app, uh, okay. which will yeah. also later convert to mobile to make use of the, the USB-C. Um, Sounds good. And, and that currently has uh, Bitcoin in various forms. So Bitcoin Legacy, SegWit, um, native SegWit. Um, so back 32. It also has uh, Litecoin in its various forms. Um, and internally... Going for the overkill. <laughs> yeah. Well, we ha we have to, um, yeah, be backwards compatible for existing users, of course, um, and we will add Ethereum and ERC twenty tokens into our desktop app. Also, um, that should be coming soon, in quotes. And but yes, right now, um, if you want to use uh, Ethereum or any of the tokens, uh, we have a integration with MyEtherWallet. Are you guys going to add more cryptocurrencies in the future that aren't ERC-20, like XRP, Monero, Tron, that's now moved to their native um, software? Yeah, that's always a question we get a lot. Um, we, can't, we don't want to give any, any, any guarantees, but it is definitely something we look at. And so uh, we, we want to curate, uh, of course, which coins uh, get involved because in the end, uh, you can go. You can take an approach where you add everything, um, but there's a there's a big um, uh, you know development effort and more so maintenance effort in the future. So it's a question of 
Um, should we spread ourselves thin and try to add everything, or should we really focus on the, the core coins, the, the ones that are going to actually make an impact? And so um, we're definitely looking into it. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Like um, the BC Vault, I think, supports more coins than any other company at the moment, which yeah. is admirable, and they're doing a great job with the user experience. However, some of those coins, in, in the nicest way possible, I couldn't give a shit about. Like they, <laughs> yeah. they're not coins anyone's gonna invest in, anyone's gonna want to buy, uh, sell, even receive, maybe receive as a coin drop. So I get that they want to offer everything to the user which is great the more the better but at the same time it's kind of i don't want to see it i don't need it so i'm I'm never going to use it they do offer a hided option okay fair enough yep but i understand that you you want to give support to the most popular coins and um i i agree with that approach uh but yeah you don't want to spread yourself too thin yeah so It'll be interesting how the which direction the market goes, um, because in the last bubble uh, in bubble what crypto's a bubble. Let me let me let me let me rephrase that. In the last bull market, mm. <laughs> um, we got Correct, of yeah. course daily requests for lots and lots of different coins, and when you talk to the resellers, they say, uh, you know, a lot of new people entering the market, they just look and see, okay which wallet has the most uh, tick boxes next to cryptocurrencies. And uh, that's an important factor at that time. Um, a lot of feedback we've gotten in the bear market has been, okay, I burned myself on that. I don't want that. Uh, let's just focus on the good things or the, the, the ones that are going to hold value and actually have uh, utility and meaning and it's not just hype behind them. So it'll be interesting what happens in, in the next... Uh, in the next months and years uh, and so it's something of course we we need to keep track of and also of course uh, you know listen to the market and try to meet the market needs um, that said we also are uh, going to announce today that we'll have two editions of the bitbox 02 uh, one of them will be have the features we just talked about and the second one will be actually a bitcoin only uh, hardware wallet and we Thank did you for some... announcing it on our podcast. <laughs> I was <laughs> yeah. reading about it on your. It was on your website yesterday, though. It, w- it was there. I did read about it. The, the uh, yeah. you have so, a Bitcoin version. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, just a day or two ago, we actually started um, pre-sales for the Bitbox okay. O2. We're coming out of the beta uh, period after now that we've passed our uh, firmware audits, um, and we'll have a, a blog post. Later today, actually uh, officially announcing announcing that that we're selling and that there's two editions. Okay, well, if you send us a link to that, we'll throw it on our Twitter account today. Awesome. Um, my my question is why though? Why do you want two versions? Why do you want a Bitcoin only version? Um. So, yeah, th- there's a few different aspects to that. Um, internal to our company. Uh, we, we have a, a number of people who are quite heavily involved in Bitcoin, Bitcoin core development. And so we've had internal push in our company for a number of years uh, about having a Bitcoin only wallet. And the reason for that is uh, security. Um, so the more, the more you can reduce the attack surface, which means uh, shutting off like um, 
uh, other cryptographic functions like U2F, second factor authentication, uh, other cryptocurrencies itself, um, you can reduce the attack factor. And by through that, you can have a bit better uh, security guarantees. Um, and so okay. with all the other coins, they have their own protocol, their own way to serialize transactions, their own way, own um, unique information that needs to be displayed on the screen. And so there's all potential for uh, bad things to happen in each of these aspects. Um, so, so that's the main reason. Um, also, of course, it'd be interesting to see, you know, again, how the market reacts. Um, this was a question on our, our beta, uh, this was a question on our beta survey. And interestingly enough, we got quite a few, uh, maybe even a majority of uh, respondents who said that they would be very interested in purchasing a Bitcoin only edition. Uh, and so we're going to go give it a try. Okay, nice. Um, it should be interesting to see what happens. The, everything in terms of how it works is going to be the same, correct? It's not going to change. Um, it's just the fact that it's only going to support Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. So okay. the hardware itself is identical. So the, the, other, the standard version will support Bitcoin also, of course. The difference between the two devices will really be in, in the bootloader. Uh, specifically, we only allow... Uh, firmware that's signed by our company to be installed in the device. Um, it's open source, so customers can build it themselves and install it themselves, but it, it has to be um, uh, our, our, our firmware that's deterministically built. Um, and so the difference is we'll have different signing keys for each of the, the different versions. And the reason for that is to uh, make it not possible for a Bitcoin-only edition to be able to ever have uh, the a risk curve. because of the other version. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. I yeah. understand. Um, so you're now leaving the beta stage. That's and going into the pre-sale stage. Do you know when the bitboxes are going to hit the market and maybe what the price of these are going to be? Uh, yes. So the price is already on the website. Um, I don't remember the exact price, so I'll leave that to the user to go click on our website <laughs> to find out. Fair enough. <laughs> I think um, one of us should at least have known what the price was. <laughs> uh, I'm just looking at it right now. It's £83.79. Yeah, so we, we have local uh, currency conversion depending on your location. Uh, and yep. so, yeah, um, thank you. And uh, yeah, so when we will come out of pre-sales? Um, this is always a dangerous thing to give exact dates. Our, our plan yep. right, our plan right now Ledger is Ledger messed that one up. <laughs> yeah, and we, we have in the past also. Um, but the plan right now is September. Uh, we're pretty sure we'll be able to hit that. So, what caused us to delay even doing pre-sales is we wanted to be comfortable with the quality of the device, and so that included a lot of internal testing, both of the hardware and the software. Um, like I said before, we just passed uh, the firmware audits uh, from some external security companies, and we've gotten a lot of uh, feedback from the beta users that we also want to implement uh, more so uh, before launch. And so right now we're ready to begin production, and that's starting this week, and we should have devices ready for shipping in September. Nice. Sounds good. I think uh, a, li a little interesting teaser. Um, so we've, we've publicly announced the Bitbox Base node uh, project. Uh, it's still okay. early, so it's still under development, uh, but it, all the information is publicly available. And 
Yeah, I was looking at the design mock-up yesterday. It looks yeah. pretty interesting. But I'm, yeah. I mean, my question is, how big is it in reality? Oh, how big is it? It's, um, yeah. oh boy. Uh, what can I compare it to? A PlayStation? It's, oh, much smaller. Okay. Or actually, I'm not sure what the latest <laughs> PlayStation looks like. Like a... Uh, a tablet? An iPad? It's probably um, less than half of the the footprint of an iPad um, okay. and a few inches in height. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So like... like um, so an iPad mini. Yeah. So yeah, I like that. Um, and what, what the motivation here is... Uh, so, so we see there's like three big needs in, in, in the space. Uh, security, of course, uh, which is what a hardware wallet's for. Uh, usability, which is what we're trying to do with our app, and privacy, um, and which is what we're trying to do with the Bitbox space. And a lot of people are, I guess, shocked to hear, uh, to learn that even if they're using a hardware wallet, but also a software wallet, that their transaction information is not private. Um, so whatever service they're using, unless they're using a full node, uh, but whatever service they're using, uh, for example, Ledger, Trezor, or ourselves, we have the opportunity or the ability to um, know your whole financial history because the way to get information about how much uh, coins, how many coins your wallet holds is to probe the blockchain to see, read the address and see how many coins are in it. And you have to do that through a third-party service. Um, and so with the Bitbox space, it's a full node. Uh, and the idea is that you can have this and then you can have the, the full spectrum of security, full privacy, and also usability. You don't have to rely on a third party. Um, so I, I think the, the current players in the market wouldn't take advantage of this, uh, but you never know what happens in the future. And of course, uh, you know, if cryptocurrency becomes more popular, there will be chances where you know, there's a court order uh, that forces one of our companies to spy on you, for example. Um, oh, yeah. And so we, we want to uh, give some tools to avoid this situation. Absolutely. With more decentralization and mass adoption, government interference tries to re-centralize everything. <laughs> and then you will have those court orders, unfortunately. Um, yeah. call, call me a conspiracy theorist, but it, it's true. Come on. Like, we all know that um, there is an element of monitoring going on and this small space that we're currently in because it, as much as we like to, the people that are in the space, in the crypto space, we surround ourselves with the crypto space. So we think it's this huge thing. But in reality, if you go out in the real world, we are a small space. Like, it, we're not that big yet. We, there's no mass adoption. Like, uh, apart from people in the crypto space, all my friends that I'm speaking to on a daily basis, all the people I'm communicating with, yeah, they know what crypto is. They, they've heard of Bitcoin. And the first reaction is, oh, didn't that bubble burst? That, that's the first thing I get. So we are in a small space as much as we think we're in a big space because we're interacting. It's, it's I like to think about it as a politician who's out of touch with society. Because they're not part of society, in essence, they they leave. They think they they, they get out of touch. They they're living in a different reality, and it's good to get back uh, in touch with what's actually going on and realizing, 
yes, there is an element of centralization. And if we are trying to strive for decentralization, we have to take this into consideration. Yes, exactly. Fully agree. Can we get into a quick fire Q&A? Let's do a quick fire. Okay. So first question, it, you got to give me quick answers. Um, I'll try. And not all the questions are cryptocurrency related. So first question, who's your most inspirational figure in or outside the crypto space? I feel like if you if you find specific individuals to highlight them, I guess in one sense, it's not fair to all the other individuals. But in a second sense, I think you can start to um, try to emulate them, whereas you're not being yourself anymore. And so um, I try not to think about that too much. I, I more so think about, OK, that was a really nice little little thing or idea this person said, or that's that's a really nice skill that that person had. And I take up a bunch of these little things uh, and try to incorporate those as opposed to trying to, you know, um, I, I, I know you don't mean idolize, but idolize any particular person. Yeah, that's actually a really good approach to life because there's many people, um, I've, I feel, um, I've done this in the past, uh, that you tend to admire someone and then from inspirational, they become idolized and they, you put them on a pedestal. And then you expect something from them and you forget the fact that they're human to a certain extent. We all yeah. are. Uh, and we're all prone to mistakes. Um, take any celebrity that's done something that you are not proud of and you're like, oh, I'm so disappointed in them. Mate, if, if your mate down the street did that, you wouldn't be disappointed in them. You'd be supporting them and saying, man, you didn't do this thing. You've done this. It's wrong. But you wouldn't have just... You know what I mean? It, it, it's, yeah. we idolize it. It's just not right. Um, yeah. So what's your favorite project in the crypto space outside the hardware world of industry? Uh, okay, so recent news. I, I wouldn't say it's, uh, you know, the thing I would idolize to, to steal that word. But the thing to keep, keep track of that I think is going to be very fascinating is the whole thing with Facebook and Libra and how that's going to go over with uh the, the governments around the world. And so it's it's kind of nice in the sense that um, uh, I, I think it'll bring a lot of attention to to cryptocurrencies and people dig deeper and look at what, you know, what the philosophy behind it is, what's really important. And so some people will be able to uh, get onboarded that way, just like um, I got onboarded through a Japanese newspaper before. Um, and uh, also advantageously, you know, Facebook's a huge company and they're going to have a, a lot of muscle in order to uh, force uh, adoption acceptance, uh, potentially. Uh, and that's only a good thing for the crypto space as a whole. Do you feel like LibraCoin is decentralized enough or it's it seems decentralized, but it's more centralized than it, they want us to believe? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, of course, at the moment, it's not decentralized uh, at all. Uh, I know their roadmap is to make it decentralized. Um, yeah. Whether or not that happens will be will be something to to see. Uh, but oftentimes, you know, if you have um, a big for-profit company uh, and they have a uh, a lot of other for-profit companies holding the nodes, um, yeah, exactly. It's 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 attractive. It's it's quite incentive to to maintain that power because you have a, a a lot of financial um, upside that comes with it. So we'll see. I don't know. I'm in the crypto space for partly the decentralization aspect of it and the fact that all these big companies, which are far from decentralized, are the ones creating this and working together on this. Just I just don't feel comfortable with it personally. Um, 
if it, it might turn out to be a great, awesome decentralized coin, but I just don't feel like at this stage for me, it it's not there yet. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. I think it's uh it's in the broader society towards mass adoption. It's a stepping stone, probably an inevitable stepping stone. But uh, I agree with you around the decentralized aspect and things like that. What's your favorite hobby? What do you do in your spare time with the family alone what, that allows you to zone out of crypto? Hiking, I would say. So being in Switzerland, uh, it's quite, quite, quite special place to go hiking, to, to go up in the Alps. Um, yeah, I was surprised. I was sure you were going to say <laughs> skiing, uh, but okay, hiking. Yeah, yeah, hiking. Uh, skiing also is is quite nice. I actually prefer skiing in in different countries. I probably shouldn't say that on record if while I live in Switzerland. <laughs> um, Someone's getting the point. <laughs> yeah, somewhere where uh, in Switzerland you're skiing above the tree line. I think it's kind of fun to ski in the trees. Uh, but anyway, hi- hiking is a really, really, really amazing thing in Switzerland. Um, can you do that all year round, or is it just summer months? You can do it all year round. Uh, even in winter, on um, at high elevations, they have groomed trails where you can go snowshoeing and and, oh, wow. uh, and glacier hiking and and so on and so on. So it it can be a year-round thing. And you I can, should try that. Yeah, and you can go in the valleys also uh, during the winter. Sounds good. Anyway, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, do you want to tell our audience where they can connect with you? Twitter, Facebook. What's the easiest way? On our website, uh, shiftcrypto.ch. We'll uh, leave that in the description. Yeah. You can find us. Uh, we have a Medium blog with the link, and we have a Twitter account. Uh, that's where you find most of our activity. And we're very happy to, to hear from you and hear feedback uh, and uh, try to engage with our community and figure out what you guys want and need. Great. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you very much, Thomas. <laughs>